This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. Twenty-four hours a day at oasiscityradio.com. Tune in, iHeartRadio, and the Oasis City Radio app. This is Oasis City Radio music. Oasis City Radio. Welcome to Oasis City Church, Columbus. Good morning, Oasis City Church good to see you this morning, and I want to say good morning to everybody watching online. We've got people all over Ohio and Pennsylvania, which is usual, but we do have uh, Houston, Texas in Sunset Beach, North Carolina, so maybe maybe we need to start a house church there or something, at least. That just sounds like a great place to be, but uh, we just welcome everybody watching. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Do us a favor. Let us know where you're watching from and how we can pray for you. We have people right now available to pray for you, to bless you, uh, and to be there for you. So please stay connected with us and everybody in the church today. God bless you. I'm glad that you're here um, this morning. We have an awesome We've had an awesome time already, but I know that God's got a whole lot in store. I want to encourage you for for something because um, in just a couple of weeks, we have a prophetic conference that's right here on site. And I want to encourage you to be here. I'd love for you to register. Um, I believe uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to me just a couple weeks ago and said these words to me as I was driving to the building for morning prayer. He said, the prophetic conference will be one of the most significant weekends we've had in our nine years of a church. Now, we knew already we were going to have this conference. We wanted to have it two years ago, but due to COVID and restrictions and such, we weren't able to have it because two of our guests are coming from the United Kingdom. Uh, of course, we have Papa Joe Ewan, who is a dear, dear uh you know, friend of ours. He's a member of our apostolic board. He's been a part of Oasis A Church before you were because he was here praying over Columbus with us before we had a church. And so Joe's going to be here from Scotland. Even if you just come for his accent, it's worth it. Dr. Sharon Stone, she's uh, coming in from the United Kingdom, from London. Her and her husband, her husband's actually from Columbus, and so they have Columbus roots. But she's going to be here. She is uh, an amazing prophet of the Lord and speaks all over um, the world, really, but particularly in Europe. She's under Christian International with Dr. Bill Hammond. And then, of course, we have uh, Eric Butler with us from New Jersey, and Eric's been here and ministered multiple times. It is going to be a significant week. It's jam-packed. So we just need you weekend, starting on Thursday all the way. Friday all day. I mean, take some paid time off. You know, don't skip work, but get paid for it or something. Do it the right way. But be here in the morning sessions. Be here Saturday morning because it's going to be significant. And one final thing, uh, for one of the first times at this conference, we're opening up what we call prophetic presbytery. 
that's just a fancy word that means personal prophetic ministry. It's a, the word presbytery has been used by the church for a couple thousand years. But it describes, you'll get the, you'll get the opportunity to sign up for a, a personal time of ministry where our prophetic team will speak over your life words of encouragement and comfort from the Lord. They're about f- between five and ten minutes long. And so you'll get an opportunity, and you get that just for signing up. You can sign up for that time and be here. So it really is going to be significant. So I'm asking you as your leader to be at the prophetic conference to support it and bring a friend. Amen. It's going to be really good. And I'm glad that uh, I'm here today to speak on week two of this new series we have called Promises, Exploring the Covenants of the Bible. Pastor Adam opened it up last week, and I'm just going to continue on because we are going to study the covenants of the Scripture so that we can better understand the new covenant that we live in right now. How many of you are glad you're part of the new covenant, not the old covenant? Come on, everybody should have their hand raised. Today, we're going to be exploring the Abrahamic covenant. So the the definition of covenant that I'm kind of been massaging and looking at um, and studying is this. In the biblical perspective, a covenant is an oath-bound promise whereby one party solemnly pledges to bless or serve another party in some specified way. An oath-bound promise whereby one party solemnly pledges to bless another or serve the other party in a specific way. In other words, God makes promises with mankind and he's looking for us to partner with him. But we serve a great God who just doesn't throw throw away our lives because we have not kept our part of the deal. And God has been doing this for thousands of years, and and we're going to dive into that. So uh, again, we see several covenants that are listed in Scripture. There's five major ones and uh, upwards of eight as you begin to, to break some things down. But we first see covenant implied in the book of Genesis uh, in chapter 1, where God is creating everything. He's the father of creation, and as he creates all the heavens and the earth and the planets and such, he makes covenant with his creation by putting certain principles in place. And then, of course, he creates Adam and Eve, and he tells them to, hey, be fruitful and multiply and take dominion. Again, they're not just taking dominion on their own benefit. They're taking dominion through his power. And so it's a covenant. And and if you study church history, I'm going to use some rounded off years here, rounded off years, that covenant in Eden with Adam and Eve took place around 4,000 BC. We know there's about a little over 6,000 years of human history. There's about a little over 6,000 years of human history. Uh, And so 4,000 BC, Adam and Eve, uh, most uh, or a lot of theologians and and such who study historians believe it was the year 4175. So if you're counting, it's 4175, but otherwise 4,000. In 2500 BC, the next covenant came along, and that's what we talked about last week. That was the covenant um, that God made with Noah. And that covenant is widely known as the universal covenant. Say universal. That means when God made his covenant with Noah, um, it was it was universal. It was unconditional. God said, I'm making a covenant. As a matter of fact, he said, I will never destroy the earth the same way I did. I'm going to put a sign uh, in the in the air. I'm putting a sign in the sky. It's a rainbow. No human can make a rainbow. I, I, um, I'm the only one. Here's a sign. And he said this. He said in his words, I make a covenant with with you and the earth. It's my covenant with the whole earth, not just humans. It's my covenant with elephants and gorillas and dogs and mosquitoes. 
I mean, I hate them, but for whatever reason, they have a purpose. God made a covenant with the earth, and that covenant is still exists today. As a matter of fact, we can get kind of prideful as, as humans, as mankind, because we think we can, uh, you know, like show off or, or show our stuff and break covenant with the Lord. And, and to be honest, you really can't break this universal covenant. You can only illustrate it. You can't break it. You can illustrate it. Like, here's an example. There's something on the earth called gravity. And it's different than other planets. There's gravity everywhere else, but the earth's gravity is different than Saturn or Jupiter or, or Pluto because it was a planet, then it wasn't, but now it is again. Hmm. Gravity on moons, you know, there's gravity. But So mankind, we can think that we can break the covenant with gravity, but we really can't. We can only illustrate it. Even a jet plane at 35,000 feet in the air going 500 miles an hour looks like it's breaking the law of gravity, but it's only illustrating it when it runs out of fuel. There's a principle in the scripture uh, with the earth, the principle of reaping and sowing. And the Lord says it will always exist, reaping and sowing. You can't break that covenant of reaping and sowing. Even if you don't sow, you illustrate it because that means you won't reap. If you're stingy, you reap sparingly, the scripture says. So, so we recognize that God puts these things in motion and they exist as long as he says they exist. So that's the, the um, covenant with Noah. Then we have in the year 2000 uh, BC, we have this man, Abraham, and God makes an unconditional covenant with Abraham. And around, and you can see there, there's a few thousand years and not a lot of covenants. Well, that's because in, in, in the first days before uh, the covenant with Noah, I mean, men lived to like 800, 900 years. God didn't have to kind of repeat himself along those lines. But then the ages of mankind started to diminish. And we see now the next covenant is just about 500 years later. And that's the covenant that God made with Moses. And it was a very conditional covenant. That's where we get the law. And, and we'll be talking a lot about that. About 500 years later, he makes a covenant with David. And this was an unconditional covenant. Uh, the Lord said that his Messiah would come through David's loins. It would be part of the inheritance of David and his heritage. And that Jesus would sit on what's called in heaven the throne of David. God makes a covenant with David. And we are part of that covenant. As a matter of fact, David couldn't mess it up. David committed adultery and then had the husband murdered to try to cover it up. And God didn't say, oh, I need to break covenant with you because you broke it with me. God said, no, my covenant is going beyond the conditions of your heart. And thank God David was a man after God's own heart. And of course he repented and such. But, but this is how powerful covenant is. It's not breakable upon your behavior. But there are some covenants and some part of covenants that are conditional. In other words, if you do this, then I will do this. And then finally, of course, the covenant with David was in the year around 1000 BC. And then we have in 30 AD, the covenant that the Lord made through Jesus Christ. And that is the new covenant that we live in today. And that covenant, we get to be a part of the new covenant. And that new covenant takes all the other covenants and it just makes them completely obsolete. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews says that, that the old covenant is obsolete. That's what it says. Doesn't even, doesn't even have 
any right to exist anymore. It's already been fulfilled, and all we have now is the new covenant of Christ with Jesus. And his covenant is everlasting because God made a covenant with himself, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They said, we are going to do this for the sake of mankind. We are going to make a way to be reconciled with humans. And and so Jesus' covenant, you couldn't do anything about it. We were just invited into it. We participate. We're we're involved with Jesus because we're co-crucified with him, co-buried, co-resurrected, co-seated, co-heirs with Jesus. But you actually didn't have anything to do with the crucifixion of Jesus. He did it on our behalf. And then he makes a covenant statement with us. I will never leave you or forsake you. Regardless if you ran away, regardless if you did the actions of David, if you did the actions of Noah, if you messed up, God says, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I always make a way for you to be right with me because I paid for your sin and my power of forgiveness covers all past, present, and future. That's how powerful it is. So the situation, say the situation. The situation where we are right now in this series is that God makes this universal covenant with Noah. And he makes a covenant with the earth. And it was pretty cool. And it had redemptive principles in it, but it didn't have a way to redeem people. And so evil and sin started to just become spread across the the peoples of the earth. And then we see in Genesis chapters 9 through 11, we see the state of mankind where there's this downward spiral of all the things that man was able to do. Now man becomes so super self-centered that they actually, you know, during the Tower of Babel, man was so confident in what, who they were, they basically gave God the finger and said, we don't need you anymore. I mean, just read the, the, the chapters, 9, 10, 11. We don't need you anymore, God. As a matter of fact, we're so good. We're so smart because, you know, you made us smart, but I think we evolved. <laughs> Just let you think on that. I think we probably, our brains evolved, God, and we were smarter than, than you think we are now. So we'll just build a tower, and if we ever come want to visit you, we'll just climb right up there and go to you. You don't even have to come down to us anymore. We'll acknowledge your existence, but we got it from here. Thanks for your help. And so that's the situation. We're here and God's, God realizes that he needs to have some redemption and he needs to have a blessing upon the people because there's, there's no longer a blessing that, that is existing with humans. And so then we have this covenant with Abraham that comes. So basically, it's kind of like, how's God going to redeem this whole situation? And God chooses a man, Abram. And he says, I'm going to do something, Abram. And some of it, You're actually going to have no part in, but I'm going to choose you and I'm going to make a covenant with you. And God's covenant with Abram, you see it in three different stages, verses uh, chapter 12 of Genesis chapter 15 and chapter 17. And I'm going to review those briefly here. Uh, But we see this progressive covenant where God is saying, I need to bless people and I'm going to do it through a man and I'm choosing you. Go with me in Genesis chapter 12. Now, just before we read that, we recognize that the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 4 says that Abraham is the father of all of us. So if you're a Christian and you're part of the new covenant, Paul says in the New Testament that Abraham 
is the father of all of us. As a matter of fact, he's also referred to as the father of faith. If you're a person of faith, it comes from Abraham. And here's why. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Wow. There's nothing in there that says if. How you behave, who you're with, what you do, how you lead. Did you take a leadership, five-step leadership course or not? Did you learn how to pastor people? He didn't say anything about that. He says, I'm choosing you. And, and he mentions three things here. He mentions land. Well, where's the land? God says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take you from here. All I need you to do is trust me. I need you to walk with me. I'm going to take you there, and I'm going to take you from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Well, the land is, the, is Israel. That's the land. And God created the earth. He's looking all across the earth, all the, the nations that weren't even nations yet, all the pieces of property on planet earth. And God said, that's the land that I'm going to start with to use to bless everybody. You owe it to yourself as a Christian to put your feet on the soil in Israel. It's just fascinating to go to. Thank God we had the opportunity to be there one time, and I hope to, to go back. But there's something about the land. God could have chosen Australia. He could have chosen England. He could have chosen uh, Argentina. He could have cho chosen Ohio. I know God loves Ohio, but he chose Israel. So he says, I'm going to bless the land. And from the land, I will make a great nation. Well, who's the great nation? Well, it's the nation, uh, the people of God, the Jews. The land, the, the, the country, the land is Israel and the people are the Jews. And God says, I'm going to bless the Jews. I'm going to create a people from you, Abraham, and that people is going to be a blessing. And then he says it three to four times. It's going to be a blessing. People who serve you are going to be blessed. People, whatever you do is going to be blessed. And then those people, this nation is going to be a, a blessing. What nation? The Jews. Uh, okay, what people? The Jews. They're going to be a blessing. And who are they going to be a blessing to? They're going to be a blessing to all nations. What I'm going to do through you, I want it to be through all generations, even way beyond you, the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because of what I'm about to do through Israel. That's how powerful this is. And that's why you and I get in on what we call the blessing of Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 15, so that was 12, God says all this to Abram, and it's, you know, it's a really powerful element. I'm sure Abram's probably thinking like, wow, like why me? Or wow, God, I can't believe you're going to promise me and you're going to bless nations and you're going to bless like people to come and generation after generation after generation. I mean, this is pretty powerful. And so God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a covenant. The reason, in other words, Abram, this is going to happen is because I'm making a covenant. It's not because you're making a covenant with me. There's a big difference. So in this time frame, uh, mankind understood covenant. They understood what that meant. Covenant, this, it's a contract that carries a whole lot more uh, weight than just a contract that has a loophole and you can exit. 
So in those days, here's how a covenant was made. It was made because uh, when two people would come into an agreement, make a covenant, maybe it was two families, two kings, two leaders, uh, two people groups, two business owners, whatever they, when they made a covenant, this is how you make a covenant. You would take an animal and you would kill it. You'd slay an animal. Then you would cut the animal in half. And you would lay the parts out in opposite, uh, you know, in opposite positions, one on the left, one on your, on the right. And that's a kind of a bloody situation. Blood is shed. And so you're, you're opening up the animal. You're laying one side and one side, enough room that you could walk through that. And the room in between where the blood was, was called the blood path. And the two people would walk through the blood path together, through the animal, through the covenant. And here's what they were saying. If either of us, this is what it illustrates, if either one of us chooses to break the agreement, may what happened to these animals happen to us. This is where we get the term cut a covenant. Or in our modern term, cut a deal. This is where it comes from. When we cut a deal, the deal is so powerful that if either of us break it, we are agreeing that this will be our history. And so covenant was a powerful thing. And you could make a covenant uh, for all sorts of reasons. So God tells Abram, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And so here's what he tells him. He says, I want you to go and I want you to um, get a three-year-old heifer. I want you to get a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Uh, So God gives him the menu. And Abram has to kill every animal and cut them all in half. That's a lot of animals, and some of them are really big. Now, the only two, the turtle dove and the pigeon, didn't get cut in half. They're probably, you know, just too small. We don't know why they didn't, but, but they didn't. But the heifers, the goats, the rams, they all got cut in half by this one man, so he had to slaughter it. It's a bloody ordeal. This is a, what we would call a bloodbath. And, and he lays them out. And so Abraham is obedient to the Lord. I don't know how much time this took, but he slaughtered them. He cut them. He laid half the cow here, half there, half the other cow, half the other cow, half the goat. Half, you, you get this. It's a long pathway, and it's a very kind of gross experience. And Abraham knows that God told him to do this. He knows what it's about. God's going to make a covenant with me. This is kind of cool. Well, how's he going to do it? We both have to walk through this in order for the covenant to be made. I wonder what he's going to ask my part. What's my agreement? Now, there are a couple instances in the scripture in Abraham's life where the Lord himself came and talked to Abraham, and then the Bible says that the Lord departed Abraham or ascended. So Abraham had some experiences, uh, most likely with the man Jesus, um, in, in, in talking with God. And there's even a passage that says that the, the angel of the Lord came, uh, that three men came. There's two angels, and then the one man leaves, and then two angels are let, left. You, see, you can see that with, with Sodom and Gomorrah. That's kind of the two angels that were there. The third man left. That's Jesus. He had this meeting with Jesus. So Abraham has had this experience maybe before he does have it after this, where Jesus is showing up. He's going to talk with him, and then he's going to depart. So I can imagine Abram saying, okay, where is he? I did all this, cut it all, took me all day, Lord. Where are you? Are you walking through with me? And he hears the voice of the Lord. And all of a sudden, in the voice of the Lord, 
there's great darkness that comes over the, the land, and Abram gets scared. And in his fear, he's probably like, what is about to happen? The Lord puts him to sleep. And God continues to talk to him. Now, I don't know if he's talking to him in the dream or if he wakes him up, but there's, a, there's an awakening moment. And in that, uh, the Lord says, Abram, I'm letting you know that there's going to be some dark times coming through your generations. For 400 years, they will be slaves. But don't fear because I'm going to come and I'm going to provide an exodus for them. I'm going to come and provide a way out for them. And I will bless your people. And he says, and you, you're not going to live around to see it, but you're going to live to be an old man and you're going to come to be with me and you don't have to worry about it. So I'm sure Abraham's like, okay, well, well then how, how do we walk this out? And here's what happens. God says, Abraham, Abram, I actually don't need you in this. What do you mean? I, I don't need you to walk through this with me. Because this is my covenant with you. It's not yours with me. And it's my covenant through all the generations that are going to live after you. And all the people, and all the lands, and all the nations that serve me. So he puts Abraham aside. Abraham's in this sleep. And the Bible says that Abraham then sees two things. He sees a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And they begin to walk together through the blood path of the covenant. And this is God making a covenant with himself. It's not God making, needing Abraham to do anything. This is God making a covenant with himself just like, and it represents the covenant that we have through Jesus Christ in the new covenant. It's a covenant that God made, Father, Son, Holy Spirit made with themselves that we will do this. That I will send my son and whoever believes will have everlasting life. Because I love the world, I don't hate the world. And that's why we as Christians, we spend more time hating the world. God doesn't hate the world. He loves it. He loves it. Those are his children. He loved them so much he gave. It's our responsibility to love people and give to them and show them the way of Christ. So here's this powerful thing. God makes this covenant with Abram. And, and Abraham, or Abram, he's like, I, I didn't have any part in this except having to slaughter everything and do the work. But there's no agreement that Abram had with the Lord that would violate the promise of God that God had. So in Genesis 17, here's where we're going to pick up what God said. Now that I've made a covenant with you, here's what it means, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do on your part. So go with me. It's a, it's a larger passage of Scripture, but we have to get this so we understand um, the story and the meaning behind it. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So here's the Lord. He appears to him and says, now I'm ready. I made my covenant, but now I'm ready for you to see my covenant. I'm ready to make my covenant with you. He's 99 years old. He's probably thinking like, could we have done this when I was 60? Had a little bit more energy. 
Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now we'll just pause right there. Abram means a great father exceedingly great father. Abraham means father of many nations, father of a multitude. And the Lord is saying, I'm making my covenant with you and you're going to be a father of a multitude. Now at this moment, Abraham is, uh, he's now Abraham. So if I'm, if I keep saying that, like I've been stumbling through, I'm right from here on out. Abraham, Abraham has a kid, Ishmael, but he got that kid because he gave up on the promise of having an heir. And he had Eleazar. And the Lord says, it's not Eleazar. Your servant is going to be my heir. God, this is going to be my heir. And he has this talk with his wife. And his wife comes up with a plan. You may have heard the story. She had a servant woman. And she's like, well, we need to produce a kid. We're both, ba- you know, I'm barren. This ain't working. So uh, go have sex with her. Make a baby. And he's your heir. So Abram was like, don't really like the idea. But he did marry her. He married her first, brought her in, married her, because he could have multiple women. Um, That was really dumb, by the way. Nobody should have multiple wives. And uh, marries her, and he does. He he makes a baby, and they call him Ishmael. Now, at this time, Ishmael is about 12, 13 years old, right here. And God's coming. He's going to make you a great nation. And he's like, man... I don't know about this because, like, I don't have, like, a dozen kids. I don't have, you know, 14 kids at this point, Lord. I'm 99 years old, and you're changing my name to a father of a multitude. I don't know how this is going to happen. So he says in verse uh, 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Wow. How fruitful? I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and all of the offspring after you. Now, wow, that is a whole mouthful because that includes me and you today. Imagine being Abraham and say, God says, I'm making my covenant with you and it's about to come to pass. And you don't even have to be alive. (laughs) Because what I'm going to do, I'm making nations come from your loins. I'm making kings come from your loins. I'm going to establish it between me and you and your offspring. And what God is telling Abraham is this covenant is between me and you, but I'm, I'm way bypassing you, son. It's your offspring. But it doesn't just, it doesn't stop with just your kids. It says your offspring for generations and an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and your offspring after you. Okay, you ready for the rest of the story? Verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. So now he says, this is the covenant. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the... And then he's going to explain it. He's like, I need this to be really clear. Every male... You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant. What is it? It's a sign. Say the sign. 
It's a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who's eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born of your house, he's, made, he's repeating himself here. This is God. Like I'm making it clear, Abram. You're not getting out of this one. Everyone, even those bought with your money. If you adopted a kid, they're circumcised. If you're buying a slave, they're circumcised. Every foreigner, if you pay somebody off, they're, if, they're in your, if they're in your household, they're circumcised. It's a sign. God's serious. He says, so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Say the sign. And you know, I'm sure Sarah was probably laughing at that one. Abram is 99 years old. Scripture tells us after this, I'm going to read this next portion, but you know, he went at 99 and got circumcised. And Ishmael was 13 years old, and everybody in the thing, I mean, that this is not this is not pretty. It, and it's, I mean, there's a difference when you're eight days old. And the idea of circumcision is that there's a cutting away, and when there's a cutting away, there's no reattachment. And this is why. As born-again Christians, we are to be circumcised of the heart, the Bible says. And ladies, you're part of that one. Paul tells us that we are to be circumcised in our heart. There should be a cutting away, a cutting away, and no reattachment of the old life. This is why um, there, you do not, if you're a born-again Christian, you do not have two natures. And the church, especially evangelical church, has been, has been twisting scripture and teaching really false doctrine that it's not putting you in freedom. It's actually putting you in slavery. Because once there is a cutting away, well, once you are born again, you are now a new creation in Christ. The old has died, the Bible says, and the new has come. There's been a cutting away and there's no reattachment. Now, here's what Christians try to do when they want to live under the old covenant. They want to live under the log and they want, they, they feel like they have these two natures that just can't get free. That's like you going down because the Bible says that when we were co-crucified and co-buried with Christ. So your old man is buried, say buried. Your old man is underground. Now, here's what you can do. You can go dig up that dead body. He can't live on his own. So the only way you can do is you can carry him around with you. So there's a whole lot of Christians who don't understand freedom in Christ. And they see their old person that's dead, by the way. And they put him on their back and they start carrying him around. Oh, man, this Christian life is so hard. Oh, I just, I just can't do, I just can't do this. Well, what are you doing? I carry around this guy. Why are you carrying around? Well, you know, he's my friend and, you know, we spent so much time together and I just feel like, you know, he should, and then it's like, well, he's dead. He's not even alive, but yeah, he's kind of like a zombie, you know, because if I resuscitate, just carry it around. Tomorrow's so difficult. I can't be free. Oh, and this, and this is bad Christian theology. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. No longer subject, the Bible says, 
to the yoke or the dead body of slavery. That's what a yoke is. It's on your shoulders. You are no longer bound with the weight of your old nature. It is cut away, circumcised, can no longer be a part of the inside of you anymore. Religion, a spirit of religion will tell you a bunch of lies and you will never feel like you can live a holy Christian life because you have this devil on the inside. And if you do have a demon on the inside, it's still not keeping you out of heaven. It's just you need to get that thing delivered. But it ain't your old nature because Jesus paid that already and he's not being crucified again. He already bought it. The Bible says that you and I were bought with a price through the shed blood of Christ, through the blood path of that covenant, Jesus purchased us, bought us, and we are no longer our own. You you don't have any right to the old man. Put away the shovel. The blood of Christ, he did the blood bath. He, He walked through that already. And here's the kicker. He did it before the foundations of the world. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation. In the mind and heart of God, he already made the covenant. And he said it might take thousands of years, but I have a plan all along. And I am making a covenant with myself. And humans can't do anything about it. Can't buy your way can't pay your way. It doesn't matter what country you're born in, what color your skin is, what color your hair is, unless you buy it. Doesn't matter what your eye color is. Doesn't matter what year you were born. Doesn't matter your bank account, your 401k. I've paid the price. You don't have any part in it. Woo! You see, Jesus... And it gets better. Look at verse number 15. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He said to himself, shall the child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's laughing at God's promise, but he's laughing to himself. I'm 99. I, I can't do it anymore. Sarah's 90. You could change your name all you want, God. For 90, it hasn't worked. I mean, I don't know when, how old they were when they got married, but let's just say, you know, she's 15 or 20 or something like that. I don't know. But for 70 years, no baby. Oh, God, I've got a 12-year-old right over here. Remember him? Oh, that Ishmael may be blessed. God, I see what you're saying. But there's already a kid. Bless him, and I'll be in agreement with it, and then I don't even have to tell Sarah. That's what he says. In verse 19, God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, 
you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I have blessed him. And I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I'll make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Whoa! How are you going to do this, God? And see, God says, I really don't need anything. This is my promise. You're going to bear a son. His name's Isaac. And I'm going to bless his offspring. I just need you to have intercourse. I'm 99 years old. I have nothing to prove. I'm trying to keep it. You, you can hear what I'm saying. But listen, this is life. And a lot of your teenagers know more about sex than their parents do because the parents are afraid to talk about it. But get this. I'm 99, she's 90. Abraham's laughing. Now, God had already changed her name. Don't call her Sarah, I call her Sarah. And a few sentences earlier, God changed Abraham's name to Abraham. And then he says, you're going to produce Isaac. The word Isaac means laughter. It's the ha-ha. And I love the way my friend Georgian Banov says it. He says that God added a ha to Abraham and a ha to Sarah to produce laughter, the ha-ha child, who is who we are all an offspring from. That's why the joy of the Lord is your strength. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus Christ walked through the blood path to the cross. It was for joy. You and I are ha-ha-ha-ha Christians. Not old man, dead man. Oh, it's so hard. The picking up your cross and denying yourself is accepting the fact that you can't get to heaven on your own. The picking up your cross and dying to yourself is the conditional covenant that, that recognizes, that says, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, I will take up everything and bear his image and bear his message through every walk of my life. But it's not carrying your old man. You should be walking around. Because <laughs> that's the promise that you have. It says right here. This is not the gospel of Bill Thumalaris. This is not the, yeah, kill the sacred cow. I will establish, verse 21, my covenant with Isaac, with laughter, with ha-ha, whom Sarah, Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. I just need you to do it one time. Now, here's Jesus. Does, 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 does God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they could snap their finger and make Sarah pregnant. But in the plan of God, he says there's only one immaculate conception. Only one. 
And I'm not doing it with Isaac because I've got a son, Jesus. So I need you, the stipulation. I'm going to bless you. I need you to do this. I need you to do one act of obedience, and then I'll take it from there. And the Bible says in chapter 21, verse 1, goes and says, And the Lord visited Sarah, and she became pregnant with Isaac. And a year later, a year later, she delivered the promise. God did his part. And here's the fascinating part. I don't have time to preach on this, but I did want to share it with you. At that time, Abram, Abraham got himself in a mess with another king. And this king took Sarah in his harem as his wife, as Abraham, didn't think they would like him, and they thought they would be violent towards them, and he'd, he'd miss out. So he, he let this happen. And God comes to the king, gives him a dream, and he's like, you're a dead man walking. I'm going to kill you. It's like, what? What? said, you took, a, you took a married woman into, uh, to be your wife. Took Sarah. He's like, no, God, honest, I'm innocent. He, Abraham told me it's his sister. It is his sister because it's his half-sister. It's only partial truth. See, a half-truth can get you in a whole lot of trouble. But she really is his sister. It's, you know, they have different mothers. So he takes him in, and here's the punishment of God. God took this very seriously. Why? Because Isaac has to be made from Abraham. The generate Jesus has to come from Isaac. So this is serious. You can't have sex with her, which they didn't. He said, I didn't even touch her, God. She just looked pretty. Remember, that's what it says. It says she looked good. He was like, oh, you told me you, she looked good? Yeah, bring her in. I'll take her on. I want good-looking women around me. That's what, that's what the king said. So he says, so, but here's the punishment. God made every wife and every woman in his territory barren. So here's all these women. Now they can't have kids. Why? Because of a judgment from the Lord because of Sarah. But here's what God tells him. He says, Abraham is my prophet. Now it's the first time the word prophet's mentioned in the Bible. Abraham is my prophet and he will intercede for you. You mean the guy I just took his wife... He's going to pray for me. Yeah, that's what God says. And do you know what happened? Abraham meets him. They have this little exchange. And Abraham prays for him. And what Abraham, but here's the key. Abraham prayed for something that he didn't possess. Sarah was barren. And Abraham prayed. And when Abraham prayed, those women became pregnant. That's what the Bible says. He prayed for something and interceded for something that he himself was lacking in his own life. He prayed for the miracle that they needed before he prayed for the miracle that he needed. And the very next verse says, and God visited Sarah. Now, in between the verses, they had to be obedient. But God visited Sarah. And our offspring comes for her. Here's the last passage of scripture before I close. In Galatians chapter 4, the apostle Paul is addressing a conflict in the New Testament church. And the conflict was that some of the Christian Jews wanted to honor the law and still live under the law because they liked it. 
And, and others were like, no, we're set free from the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. Haven't you read the scripture? We're not part of that anymore. We're part of this new creation in Christ. And so there's a little conflict going on in the church today. And that's why I said some Christians still like to live under a religious system. And so here's what Paul says. Look with me in verse 21, and I'm wrapping it up here. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you really know what the law actually says? Tell me. You want to live under a religious system? Do you know what you're asking? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and another from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promises. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where the people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia, because she and her children live in slavery to the law, even to this day. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. She's our mother. Freedom is our mother. Freedom in Christ Jesus. We are born, we're an offspring of freedom. And I don't know what kind of relationship you've had with your natural mother. We all come from a mother. It's God's plan. I don't know what it's like. It, it, it could have been amazing. It could have been non-existent. It could have been very painful. It could have been distracting. Your mother may be here on the earth today. It may not be. You may have a bunch of unanswered questions, but let me tell you, in God, in the faithfulness of the Lord, you have a mother, not someone that you pray to. You have a heritage. You are part of an offspring that is blessed. Even if your natural family just seemed to live under a curse, you, in Christ, live under blessing. You're the offspring of freedom, not of slavery. You're the offspring of blessing, not of cursing. You're the offspring of laughter and goodness, not of anger and hatred. So no matter where you came from in life, there is hope, that a blessed hope in Christ Jesus that you and I can walk in freedom we can walk in freedom. For those of you watching online, thank you so much for tuning in this week. God bless you. or 11 a.m. in Westerville on East Wind Drive.